Welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. Today, we will be chatting with Gene Smith of the Gene Smith Band and Chris Henderson of the same band. And they will be doing, uh, they'll be performing here on November 16th, which is a Friday, down here at the Underground. The Original Slacker is presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. Round Guys Brewing Company has three locations. We're proud to announce a new location in Glenside. The Glenside Ale House, which features eight of our beers on draft and Mexican food. We also have The Underground, which is where this show is being performed, where we're chatting. We're actually recording the show for the first time right here in The Underground. The Underground is our live performance venue where we have everything from drag, yoga, music, board games, jazz. Some shows will have tacos. Some shows won't have tacos. If we don't have food, you're welcome to bring food in. We do not serve food not have food at the actual venue, the underground itself. But we do across the street at the Lansdale Brew Pub. Lansdale Brew Pub, which is home to our original brewing facility. We have 16 beers on draft, takeout. We have everything over there. We get full-service menu, full-service bar. And if you want to see in the back, just wave to someone and say, hey, what's back there? Can I check it out? We might be able to let you back there. So give it a shot. And thank you again for listening to the podcast. Today's going to be a fun one. Gene Smith is he's he's a cool dude. And we got to chat about man, Rock of Wood we chatted. We chatted about some the influences of vinyl and the impact of, of different technologies on music and we chatted about uh the impact of technology on the human spirit as well. These guys will be performing a well, Gene Smith will be performing a song at the end, so definitely pay attention. We have a live performance, the first time on the original Slacker podcast. Live performance at the end of this podcast. Thank you again, and have a good one. Gene, Chris, welcome to an episode of the Original Slacker Podcast. This is our, our now it's a new segmented piece, the um, music mash ton. It used to be all music on the podcast, and now splitting it up. Groovy, man. Thanks yeah. for having us. We yeah. like this place. Like I said, we played here a couple of times, and uh, we've had fun here. And uh, we, the pre- people here have been fantastic to us. And uh, we have a lot of people that live around here. We know a lot of people in the neighborhood, so we've been able to bring people in, and hopefully that will continue. Yeah, we like having you guys down here. Personally, your kind of music is kind of like is what I prefer. <laughs> I'm, well, thank I'm you. a jam fan. and What, I, what I kind like... of music exactly is that? <laughs> people ask me what kind of music we, we play. We, we struggle to explain what kind of music we have. Yeah. I would if say... you know what kind of music we are, please tell us. Yeah, we don't. it's a very <laughs> – it's more livelier than dead, right? It's okay. way more mellow than Umphrey's, and it has less of the folkiness than Widespread Panic. But somewhere there's a triangle that's formed, and you guys are in the middle. Wow, to be mentioned in the same breath as those people is an honor. Thank you. I, I think those are good comparables. I mean, it, you know, the jam style is very, it's very laid back, right? It's well, very kind of. I mean, it can be. Yeah. I, when I was in Boris Garcia, sorry, that's a, a plugging of my, one of my old bands. There, they're still out playing. They're great guys. Go see them. Um, when I was traveling with them, we got to play with a lot of those bands that you just mentioned, yeah. and we got to meet them, and they're interesting people. And I've seen how they've progressed over the years. And if we can progress anywhere near like that, we're we're going to be in good shape. Uh, you guys are progressing. I, I'll listen, oh yeah, I'll we, it's always the, changing. <laughs> the two new tracks, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Twinkling of an eye. That's one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is going to be fine, right? Yes. yes. And those songs, I noticed a little, there's a kind of a spacey sound you guys have in your music. 
kind of like a, a celestial, maybe not celestial, but like a... Uh, yeah, his name is Dave Brown. He plays slide guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are four or five songs that kind of fit into that vein that are a bit more spacey and almost more like prog-like. I almost, you know... I love it. I think it's a really cool vibe. Some of the spacier Pink, Pink Floyd type, type of, of stuff that... And Twinkling of an Eye is on one of them. Yeah, it, that spacey vibe definitely defines a sound that the Gene Smith Band has. Well, thank you. That's a, I'll take that as a compliment. You know, yeah. where it's I don't know if that just happens organically or if it's you know years of abuse. <laughs> no, seriously, it's too, I many, know. too many um, drugs for too long a time. Well, you know, the thing is, we we were not young guys. You know, we grew up in the '60s and the '70s, and that stuff. You know, it all goes in, filters around. Squirrels around your brain comes back out again. So when people say, what are your influences? Like, man, every damn sound I've ever heard since I was awake, you know. Uh, yeah, Mozart to Megadeth, the, the birds chirping in the woods. All of these things go in and make the music that comes out of us. So, you know, the fact that it's gelling into something that people say, oh, this is, has its own sound. I'll take that as a compliment. You guys did make the song Scooch, right? Yes. Which is about a cat. Or maybe yes. well, the perception of the world from it, a cat's it's, point of it's, view. It's about a girl and a guy and a cat and a place and a time. It's a love song. Oh, okay. I got the cat part. Yeah. I enjoyed the cat part. I totally missed out. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of, of it. it's sort of from a it's sort of from a cat's point of view. Um, it's sort of a you know from an overall point of view, a, a, a guy taking a look at the situation and appreciating how the girl is kind to animals and how the animals respond to the girl. And, you know, from a cat's point of view, it's like, you know, you rub our bellies, you put our dinners on the floor. What else could we ask for? You know, who doesn't like their belly rubbed? Who doesn't want dinner? You know? (laughs) Maybe a bowl of water. Never met anyone that didn't like their belly rubbed. (laughs) So you guys met up. It was very organic, the growth of the Chris will tell this part of the story. He's really good at it. very organic. So Chris... You knew Gene for a while, right? Well, um, yeah, we were on first-name basis. We weren't good mm-hmm. friends or anything, but I knew him from various bands he'd been in, Boris mm-hmm. Garcia and Psychobilly and... You know, the Turnips, a bunch of bands. And, and the Turnips, yeah. But I used to see him come out to shows, and I didn't even know he was a musician. And he would come out to shows, and, you know, in between sets, you know, we'd go out and have a cigarette and stand there talking, and, you know, he was just one of these really good yeah. guys. And every time I turned around, he was there. It was like, wow, this guy's really a fan. And so we just got hitting it off and talking, and... You know, you didn't think he was stalking you, right? I know. I didn't even know he was a player. I didn't even know he was a musician. And somebody came up and said something along the lines like, "Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's weird about Chris." I said, "What do you mean?" Well, you know, Chris had had some health issues and right, had to stop right. playing for a while. I think everybody knows that. I don't think it's a big secret. And Is you know, okay he had, to, yeah, and he had to drop. Those? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, he had to drop out of a few bands and things. And you know, so, but he was known as a really good bass player. So, Chris, unfortunately, you had two strokes, right? Yes, but you were able to recover. And yeah, they didn't. There weren't any real physical de- deficits. It's more loss of muscle memory, and it was well, the as biggest a problem. Though, that, yes, that's pretty important, right? Yeah. So, so when I found out he was a bass player, I said, "Well, let's get together and jam, you know, just to have some fun." I, I figured, you know, he was a fan of my tunes and everything, and I, you know, he said he has his big house, you know, come on down and party. So we, would, I just grabbed an acoustic guitar one day and went down and started playing. And just very organically, we didn't even mean to start a band. It just sort of, we started jamming. And next thing you know, it started sounding like like something. We had other people come in and start playing along. And, you know, uh, Dexter Myers, his his, uh, stepson, for lack of a better uh, term, came down and started uh, playing drums with us. 
And then one day he opened his mouth and started singing. I'm like, oh, my God, this kid's got, like, genuine pipes. So now we're trying to use him, you know, get him singing more. And the whole thing just sort of grew. You know, next thing we knew, people were coming up and, uh, you know, we started going out and playing a couple little, like, parties and stuff. And, you know, some of my other great musician friends started jumping in on it. And it, it just started to sound like something. And now we've got... And I'm, I'm, I'm probably the one that, that really pushed us in the direction of becoming a band. Because yeah. I missed being in the, the environment of a band where you were tight and, you, you know, you were well rehearsed with the material. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I I really missed that. So I was the driving force behind. He kind of dragged me along kicking and screaming a little bit. I I was busy at the time. And uh, I was, you know, doing, you know, starting a new job and playing in other bands and all this stuff. But when I, you know, when I had the idea in my head, you know, that suddenly I could do all original music. Like all we were playing were my songs. We weren't doing any covers or anything. And uh, when it finally came to me, like I could actually do this. Like, I never considered in my lifetime doing my own band thing. Like, it just never even really... Finally, you were able to write your own full-fledged music. I remember that was the first time I spoke to Chris. That was the exciting part. Yeah. That you guys had bottled up energy from years and years. Mm-hmm. And now it's a chance. And, 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 you know, the thing is, when you write songs, every band takes them and does something different with them. And I never really got to play them the way I wanted to play them. Like, people would just say, well, we're going to do this with your song. Oh, okay, you know. I'm a little bit wishy-washy sometimes when it comes to this. So finally, Chris says, let's just play them the way you hear them. How do you hear them in your head? Like, play them the way you want to play them, man. They're your tunes. So he was really the one who talked me into this. He was really the one who said, look, just play your songs the way you want them to play, however you want them to sound. We'll try to get them to sound as much like the way you hear them in your head as we can. And right now, I got to tell you, it's getting real close. I mean, we're some of these recordings we did, I listen back to it, and I say, man, I, I wouldn't change much, if anything. What you know? song would you say is really dead on? Everything's going to be fun when I fun. rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, I, I really like that song. That is, it's quirky, it's catchy. Thank it has you. has some timing changes in it. It's just an enjoyable song. It's well, you know, I... I have to say, in all honesty, I write simple songs. I write words that people can readily understand. What makes this band better is the fact that I happen to have some of the best musicians on the East Coast playing with me. You talk about guys like Dave Brown and Bud Burrows, Dan Messa, Chris. Uh, you know, we got young talent in the band like Dexter, who's just phenomenal. You know, you got guys like this around you, and they take the stuff and they run. You know, sometimes I feel like the quarterback. I just pitch the guy in the ball, and he runs 100 yards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I did the easy part. These guys are doing the work. You know, they're doing the heavy lifting. Uh, but it's gratifying to hear the final result. And, you know, everyone walks up to me at the end of the night and shakes my hand and say, wow, great stuff. I really like your songs. Well, these guys are packing up the gear. And they just did it all, you know. So they make me sound good. And I... And I then think, you take the I think they know I, they, that I <laughs> no. I think they know that I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. Yeah. Well, I mean that's how good organizations, good partnerships run. You know? Well, you know, it's not easy to do be an all original thing. It's sort of like here's my heart on a plate. Have a yeah. slice. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot easier to play cover tunes because they're cover tunes. You know, you you got the cover of not having to take responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, you know, some of my songs can be a little on the edgy side, a little political side. I've had people get offended. I've had death threats. Death <laughs> threats. I had somebody threaten me one time because of one of my songs. What? There's a line in one of my songs about guns. And somebody once said, sent a message like, yeah, you better keep on talking and you'll find out what a bullet can do or something like that. You know, it's some <laughs> kind of – I don't even remember the exact thing. 
But a couple people were a little upset over it. I told them, don't worry. People like that never follow through. It's just a coward speak. But, uh, yeah, we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe. We try not to rub it in people's faces, but, uh, you know, we do, we do have our beliefs and our stances, and, uh, you know, we're not afraid to say it. I've always thought of jam as, as being the community music, right? You build a community with mm-hmm. your music. Some other types of music, when you go to indie rock or you go to, you know, hip hop or, or some of these other areas, you're making songs and you're trying to impress people with those songs. But what you guys are doing is you're, you're building a community. That's what you're doing. You're, the people who are going to listen to your music are going to be there because they want to be part of this group. They want to. You know, it. I hope so. Um, you know, I I hope that uh, you know we're not being too divisive. I know in this the current atmosphere, you know, people are going to pick sides, and uh, you know, we try. I try anyway to be a little bit broader minded than that. I have a lot of friends who think differently than I do. They're still my friends, you know, and I'm not going to uh, you know kick them out of my life or anything. But uh, it's it's a tough atmosphere these days. It's a politically charged, um, you know. There's a lot of tension in the air. So these days, I, I find myself trying to be a little, choose my words a little bit more carefully than I used to. Uh, some of these songs I wrote a long time ago, and sadly, they mean more today than they did when I wrote them. Wow, they mean a lot more now. That's saying something, man, Gene. Well, we- it's 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 good and it's bad. I mean, people say, yeah, it's a great song, but. It's a reflection of what's really going on in the world, and sometimes that's not so good. Do you think the world has ebbed and flowed since you were a kid? Do you, how do you, oh, absolutely. What do, you see, what do you see the current state versus, say, 30 years ago? Um, have things changed th- that much? Is yes, there- and you know what? Why? Because of education and knowledge, the Internet. Um, when we were kids, we believed what people told us. If we really wanted to know, we'd have to go to the library and look it up in books. These days, somebody tells you something you don't believe a word anybody says. You pick up your phone and you find out if it's true, and it's instant. It's there in 30 seconds. So people don't get away with the uh, the bull they used to get away with before. Um, you know, Everything's called into question. Everything's scrutinized. You know, 10-year-old kids right now have more knowledge about the political scene and how things run in the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, than I had any clue of until I was 30. Right. I mean, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was busy riding my bicycles and catching frogs and stuff. These kids okay. are sitting at home watching guys get beheaded on the internet. And, you know, this stuff going into these kids' brains at this age can't be a good thing for our society. It just can't. We wonder why there's so much tragedy in the world. Well, it's because that's what they're being fed. That's mm-hmm. what goes in. What goes in comes out. I think there's also a flip side where... Back when we were kids and young adults, people who were out there and were different and were on fringes with their views, they knew it, mm-hmm. okay? Whether it was for good or bad, they knew that they were different. And now, you can, no matter how different you are, you can find a community of like-minded individuals. So whether for good or bad, whether you're a neo-Nazi or whether you're, you're into uh, little kitty cats, <laughs> right. you know, you're going to find a community of people who feel just like you, and you, and so that so that can make you you feel normal, whether it's you know yeah the normalization whether you're alt right or or whether you like animated animal porn, whether you're a furry, right? <laughs> you're you're going to find people that wow, th- this isn't different. Would you say? I, 
I'm of the generation that had to I have up until I was what, 12, had no internet. So I remember what it was like before, and I remember, obviously, I know what it was like after. And I look back a lot of times, questioning myself, being like, why did I not do anything? What, what was I doing for the first 12, 13 years of my life? 14 years. What, what was I doing? Why was I not that productive compared to you know, my friends, kids, or whatnot, where they're at in their stage of life? And then I go back because I didn't have YouTube there. I couldn't learn anything I wanted to learn when I was eight. I couldn't sit there and be like, well, I got all this time. I want to learn how to do sure. something stupid that a kid will want to do. But, but, you know, like the learning now, you have, you probably have, how big is this band on average? Because I know you guys have players that come in now. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's another great question. It depends on who shows up. Um, the Gene Smith band, I would describe as usually five to eight pieces. Yeah, Chris, myself, and Dan Messa, the drummer. Mm. Uh, Dexter is there 90% of the time. Um, and then, you know, Bud shows up when he can, Dave shows up when he can, uh, Luke Cleary of Luke and the Ego, a young guitar player, a brilliant, brilliant young player and singer in his own right, writes great songs and everything, has been playing a lot of guitar with us lately. And that's been a lot of fun because he's got a different style. He's a little more crunchy rock and roll. Yeah. He brings a lot more of an edge to it. And he's, he's, he's awesome. And really, Marky B- Mark Berkowitz on the harmonica, Kenya Lancey on the horns, uh, people just show up and sit in with us. I never know who the band's going to be. You don't know before that night. You don't know. Who's well, I mean, guys will tell me I can make this yeah. show. It's like yeah. sometimes I know, okay, we're going to have these guys for this show. <laughs> Google Calendar is your friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, sometimes, you know, like like Bud can't make. We, we have a show later this afternoon that Bud can't make. He's, uh, he's playing with Box of Rain out in um, uh, Pittsburgh today. You know, he plays in a dead band. And, um, you know, Dave Brown isn't going to be here either, is he? Or is he? I don't think so. Yeah, he, he he just bought a house. He got things to do. So Luke's going to come out and play. We got other people sitting in with us. So like I said, we have the core band and then whoever can make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we have the full band, when we have all of those guys on stage, it's it's an orchestra and it works really well. What I was thinking about is do you notice a skill difference between some of the younger players you have than when you were at that age? Oh, absolutely. There are... Um, you know, I, I take a look at a guy like Dexter, for example. Dexter's what, 29, 30 years old now? He's 27. 27, yeah. Dexter's 27 years old. And vocally, he sounds like I did when I was 27 years old. We have a kind of similar voices that way. He's a much stronger voice than me. Um, you know, I'm old now. So it's getting a little thin. But um, it's weird how your voices sound alike. But he plays so piano. Dexter started to uh, sing the lead vocal on one more of our songs. And there have been times where I thought Dexter was going to sing this song because it, it sounds just like Gene. They have very similar timbre. But, uh, yeah, he, I do see some of these young players, and they're unbelievably advanced for 25, 27-year-olds. Um, maybe it's because they've had time, more time to work with it. Maybe they just have more talent. <laughs> you I, know? Well, I think you guys are talking about you know, the Internet age, that talent. Yeah. So it goes both ways. You've got some terrible, disgusting things. But then you also, I think... On a positive side, you're able to start off so young with learning skills that you would have needed to take a program for or mm-hmm. go through college for. You don't even need to go to college for a lot of the, the soft skills these days. You can learn them oh, by the time you're 14. You get all your soft skills down sure. and go you know, college for, for your, your heart or your math stuff and whatnot. But with music, I feel like it, it's just it, – the talent level, and I think you noticed this probably in the beginning of the 2000s, 
is that you started seeing, um, on average, maybe this had to do with the music industry kind of decentralizing also at that time. But you started seeing, on average, I think the the quality of overall like pop music got better almost overnight. Well, you know. <laughs> Being an old school guy, I would look at it two, two ways. The technology is definitely better and it's easier to do. I know kids that can, you know, I know, you know, people have their little home studios now. Guys can sit in their bedrooms and make album quality stuff on their computers now. And I think that part of it is great. I think it's fantastic that it gives um, a way to put your stuff out there. However, <laughs> I would rather go into an old school analog studio any day and go through the process the old with the old tape and everything because it really does have a different soul, a different feel to it at mm-hmm. the end of the day. It's more three-dimensional. Have you ever done this test? To, you know, vinyl. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine is a recording engineer um, and a very, very good and semi-famous one. I won't mention his name on the air for copyright purposes. But I was at his house one day and he goes, I want you to hear something. He took us uh, uh, the same album. It was on cassette tape, vinyl, and CD. The first thing he put on was this, the uh, the CD, and it was one of my favorite albums. We sat there and we listened to this great song. I said, "I love that song." He goes, "Okay, now listen to it on the tape." And he took a cassette tape and put it in a really nice cassette t- deck and played it, and it sounded different. It sounded earthier, I guess you could say. It wasn't as two dimensional. He, and he did, had me close my eyes and listen to this while he did this. Then he put on the vinyl. And it was like as if I was standing in the middle of the room while the band was standing around me playing. The drummer was behind me. The guitar player was to my left. The keyboards were to the right. The singer was right in front of me singing right to my face. And that's exactly how it felt. It was so three-dimensional. It almost like went through you. There's no comparison. There's just no comparison to the way they used to record things and the new technology as far as depth. It sounds good, but it's just not the same thing. And that was an original vinyl. That was that? That's an original vinyl? It wasn't yes. every... No, 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 no. Uh, this was an original vinyl record... Um, this wasn't a special directed disc recording. No, 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 no. This was, um, you know, it was. Uh, I can tell you. I, I, I don't think there's any um, infringement on this. Yeah. It was uh, Peter Gabriel's So album. Okay. Yeah. And that came out right at a time when all three of those formats were still available. You could still buy it on vinyl. You could you could get it on CD, and they still sold it on cassette. So he had all three of them, and it was three totally different experiences when you close your eyes. Wow. So you know that's. Why I say, yes, I like the new technology, but I still dig the old technology better. Do you think that just also might be that different producers were more talented or had different talents? And now maybe that information, that skill wasn't passed along? In I don't way? know if it's so much that or it's just expedience. You know, yeah. these days it, it, it takes a long time to record things analog. You know, you, ha- you, know, you have to rewind tape and splice stuff and it's just not... Instant. And when you say splice stuff, you're physically splicing tape. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tape. yeah. yeah. You guys used to actually physically take yeah. scissors and cut tape. Yeah. You know, two-inch analog recording tape. I think it's partial skill, partially the different skills, because you don't need to learn these skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And partially the actual physical work. That... Yeah. It's just like people are losing the, those skills because they don't use them anymore. You know, very few guys and I think record analog. what Gene was talking about on vinyl, you need to have a 
great turntable with, more importantly, an, exactly. a top-notch cartridge yes. that costs several hundred dollars. Yeah, this guy had the technology to prove his point to me, and he did <laughs> in no uncertain terms. Uh, there was just really no The importance is in the in transducers them. where any sound changes medium, microphones, speakers, right. cartridges, digital analog converters, analog to digital converters, where it switches realm mm-hmm. from a vibrations on a piece of vinyl to an electrical signal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the transducer, you know, with the speaker, right, where you have electrical signal, all of a sudden it's creating waves in the air. When it changes medium, if you, that's where you put your money. I always used to, people would ask me back when people used to buy hi-fi systems, and that was a big deal, where do you put your money? We always put your money in the speakers and the cartridge. Right. You know, the transducer is where it changes medium. Okay, yeah. That's I can yeah, and there's a reason why so many of these bands are re-releasing their stuff on vinyl. There's a reason why vinyl is making a huge comeback, and it is. There's no doubt about it. I mean, vinyl is coming back, and it's because it just freaking sounds better. Sorry, but it does. There it is. I gotta say, I (laughs) I stopped buying music in the end of the '90s, and I mean, I have a million CDs, right? Mm -hmm. Which I grew up with CDs, but. I've been buying vinyl now for, what, three years? Mm-hmm. And it's not just the sound. It's the physical takeaway. It's your actual it, – it feels like people – the band makes it for you. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's just thrown out there or maybe mass-produced. It feels the texture, even the texture of the actual – the packaging. Yes, beyond the, the technology of the music – you can't take the stuff out of the CD and pour over it the way you do with like a, an album cover. Yeah, who, who didn't I mean, used to love the album covers, the pictures what? and everything, the and posters, Pink the Floyd, concept man, of an album, that's no more. Putting together an, an album as it's a gone. piece, as a collection that progresses from the opening song to the close. There is not. It's, you, people are into songs now instead of... Chris, that's so right. But when I got back into vinyl, when I started listening to vinyl, I... Start listening to whole albums. Yeah. And that's what I'll, I'll start looking for albums. So I'm buying yeah. them. I go out there and purposely look for a whole album, not a right. song, not two songs that are on that album. That I like, I want to hear the whole thing yeah, the because whole thing you're going to play it. And don't even, th- again, this one of these things that I think a lot of people just don't think about with when they purchase their, their music or their media. With vinyl, you're not going to stop it halfway. No. That's a pain in the butt, right? Like, you're, you're not going to start it on track three. No, you're not going to start on track three. You're going to hit play. And you're going to like everything on there because it's, like you said, it's the start to finish of an album. It's, it's the band's concept mm-hmm. in art form. It's not a quick, out, a quick track here and there. I know a lot of the bands we, we get through there, they don't do full albums. Full albums, are, I guess, is faux pas now, right? Right. It's not the thing. Watch it come back in two years, right? Well, I Everyone, think it will. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I, as a, as a, just a, as a fan, I miss that experience. You know, I was never a kid that went out and bought a lot of music anyway because I had too many brothers and sisters running around that would just, you know, mess it up. But I, um, you know, I used to love just being able to sit down and listen to like Dark Side of the Moon yeah. or Brain Salad Surgery or, uh, you know, um, King Crimson and things like that because the whole, ex- the whole thing's and an experience. not as background music, but as that was the activity. You would have a, a friend or two over, yeah. and that was what you were doing. You were listening to this album side. Oh yeah, and I think and discussing vinyl, the you, album afterwards. You know what the the another thing I never thought about vinyl. A lot of times, people 
get disconnected from purchasing decisions, right? And you're starting to see some retail outlets just for clothing. In order to entice people, they actually have other experiences going on. Right. They might have some a coffee shop in there or they might have a bar in there or they might something else is going on. That shared experience still rings through for vinyl. You still mm-hmm. share it. I still do that. Right. Different people in my life just listening to an album. You still do it. You have that shared experience. I never did that for a CD. Right. I mean, tapes, tapes, I can get started on tapes, but it never did it for a <laughs> CD, right? And I think CD, when it comes to the Christmas of sound, I don't know if you get a better audio quality from a technical standpoint. Well, I think the good thing about CDs, and uh, first of all, it's a lot, it's just cheaper for them to make them on. It's, you know, packaging and they're lightweight, you know, just logistically. the album covers, the little tiny print. So the, I think I think the logistics kind of took over the money side of it took over and said okay we we can make these a lot cheaper if we make them on CD and I understand that um, but again it's not the same experience and I think that um, you know sadly that's just one of those cultural things that I think will kind of get lost a little bit I don't think that that'll ever fully come back but the the idea of the shared experience from a writer's point of view when you're a musician that's the, that's what it's all about. I mean, that really is the point of it, is getting people together to do this and listen to it all. So one song at a time usually doesn't cut it. I mean, it's, you know, you don't, you don't go through all the trouble to play one tune. Right. And people don't come to, bar to, to a bar to hear one song, you know. Uh, they want the whole package. So I, I think... They want free bird. <laughs> yeah, you don't... Well, sometimes. You know, although I can tell you it's been a long time since anybody yelled that at one of my shows. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, when I was a kid growing up, I played in a lot of cover bands, and I've, I am, I will raise my hand and tell you that I've probably played that song more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> uh, but it was actually a fun song to sing. Yeah, you know, when you're a singer and you're up there and there's a whole bar oh, yeah, full of packed people yeah, singing along with you, that's yeah. a blast. Yeah, you feel like a rock star when you're 17, you know. But <laughs> you know, after about 10 times, it's like, and that's the great thing about playing your original songs is that you know every time out there. You know, it's still fun to sing it, you know, because you know that this is not something they've already heard before, you know. What do you feel are the challenges, the differences between being a cover act and doing your your solo, your your own original music? Um, I think it's, you know. Getting challenge- regular bookings. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Okay, I mean, it's venues that have all original music bands are not nowhere near as many venues as Oh yeah, it's a bar. We're gonna we're gonna hire a cover band for Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. So you know, getting bookings on the guy gets most of our shows. It's mm-hmm. it is a tough road to hoe. And from an artistic point of view, it takes a long time for people. Like we're at the point now where people come out and they sing along. A lot of the our people that come out a lot know every word to every song. They'll come up and talk to me about it. Um, but most people that just go out on a Friday night to have a couple drinks with their friends, they want to hear stuff they already know. I understand that completely. So that's from an artistic challenge, but what Chris was just saying from a from a logistical challenge. Um, you know, we perfectly well understand that, you know, most of the places that hire us um, are selling beer. That's basically what they do. This is what the underground does, and we love them because they'll bring original music in anyway. You know, they could probably bring in cover bands and pack the joint every night, but they are trying to do something better than that. They are trying to create an artistic culture in a town that desperately needs it. Um, they're trying to stand out from the crowd. They don't want to be just another 
uh, bar. <laughs> and I can tell you something from a, a business point of view that I've noticed. Some people are just about the bottom line. Some people are about the experience. They care about the people who come in and out and everything. You're going to get a nicer crowd. You're going to get a more educated crowd. You're going to get a much more well-behaved crowd when you have art as opposed to noise. Right. You know, if you want 20-year-olds in here breaking glasses and, you know, getting rowdy and things like that, that's fine. But if you want an older crowd that's going to be nicer to your people, maybe better tippers, things like that, um, then you you go the artistic route. And I, I applaud them. My hat's off to places like the underground for choosing that path. They're not just about the money. They're about the experience. They're about the art. They're about the food. They're and about the beer. And there used to be a lot of places. I mean, I, I lived in California in the late 80s for a while. I moved back to the Philadelphia area in 1992. And when I got back into the local music scene, there were places I could – I would – I mean, I didn't know different bands – original music bands, but I know if I went to the North Star Bar or mm-hmm. if I went to certain venues in town... The Mermaid. And I, if it was an interesting-sounding band name, I was there because they had a reputation for having good bands. Mm-hmm. And you don't find that anymore. going to sound a little bit odd, but I've been hanging around Lansdale, you know, off and on for 40 years. A lot of my friends come from this neighborhood. There was a time when this town was kind of run down. It was in, you know, a service kind of community and they weren't doing so well. This town has come back. Uh, there's a lot of art and music in this town now. There's a lot of nice restaurants. Lansdale is sort of like some of the other smaller towns around here that would be really enjoyed a, almost a renaissance. You know, uh, and it's just because of the young people that are moving in out of necessity. You know, there's need now. These people want good food. They want good music. They don't want to have to drive to Philadelphia or, you know, New Hope or anything, or Doylestown to enjoy these things. And so some of these entrepreneurs that are moving in and opening places like this, I think are going to do very well because there's a need for it. There's a younger crowd in this town now that really wants it. So I think you're going to do well. I think business-wise, it's a good location now. When we started 2012, it was just us and Molly McGuire's that were really mm-hmm. holding the town down. And now, Stove and Tap, you've got a well-crafted brewery who just opened up in town. You have a, a slew of new tasty restaurants here. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed. It's, it's really starting to come through. Upstairs, Backyard Beans, great coffee. Yep, uh, very good little Coffee roaster here in Lansdale. So, yeah, it, it has changed. You're right about that. Um, but before I'm going to wrap this up right here, I don't think I have any other questions. I think this is a great interview. I really like talking about your perceptions on audio quality and, you know, and talent levels and, and it changes. You just, you witness maybe some of your younger audience who hasn't. Well, I, brother, I I, I turned 60 years old last weekend and, uh, you know, you look at a number like that and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a milestone and everything. Oh, Rocco was clapping. Yeah, yeah. But when I, th- when I think about the fact that I've actually made it this far and I, I look back on my years of experience, I, I, I'm astonished at the changes I have seen. So many, cha- not just in art and music, but culturally in the whole world, um, so many changes have taken place in our lifetime uh, that we almost take it for granted. Um, we should be aware of the fact that things are moving and changing rapidly and mm-hmm. we are the ones who have the power to steer it in any direction we need it to go. 
But unless we're unified, that's not going to be a good thing. Couldn't end it better than with those words right there, Gene. Okay. So, so Peace Gene, and love to everybody out there, man. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't forget to support your local brew pub. <laughs> Gene Smith, Chris Henderson, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having the, us, though. It was fun. The Gene Smith Band will be here at the Underground on the 16th of Friday of November. Mm-hmm. And looking forward to your third stint here. You're here in March, and you're back here in June. And, and I know it's always a great time. Everyone loves it. I hear great things. Rocco's telling me how much you like the show that he did back in June for you guys. So, Oh, that was a, that was a good one. We had a really good crowd in here. Um, they, when we first got here, I, I, I think it's funny. Uh, the, the poor sound guy they had was new and couldn't figure out how to work the board. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Uh, so he had to call somebody else in to fix up the board. But at the end of the, by, by the time they got it going, though, the, the sound was incredible. Uh, they troubleshot it. They they uh, you know they uh, they were marines about it. They overcame. They adapted, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as we did as well. But you know what? It was um, it, it, it turned into one of the best nights because everybody had so much fun that night. We were all back, you know, you know, laughing, having a good time. I saw a lot of good friends came out, and it was a beautiful thing. So we're really looking forward to November. Yeah, well, I can't wait for you guys to be back. Well, there you have it. The Gene Smith Band was in the house at the Underground. And thank you again for listening to the Original Slacker Podcast. You can find out more about the Original Slacker Podcast by going to facebook.com slash the original slacker. Or you can find out more about the brand, Round Guys Brewing Company, by going to roundguysbrewery.com. And you can find out everything you need to know. Glenside Alehouse, the Lansdale Brew Pub, or the Underground, even the podcast is all at roundguysbrewery.com. So check us out. Email me if you have any issues, concerns, questions, thoughts, compliments. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> hate mail. That, it all goes there. Bill at roundguysbrewery.com. Without further ado, we're going to finish up with just a clip of this live performance here by Gene. It was cut off a little bit only because we're, we're still working out, trying to figure out how to get this, this live studio action going. And it, stuff happens. But with, definitely, it's a, a good live performance by Gene. I enjoyed it, and we're really glad to have these guys back. So check it out, and look forward to hearing from you guys and seeing you guys the in the next episode. Drank. Thank you. The better we'd sound all those fine, sturdy patrons who hung around, bound and determined to dance their blues away. And I say, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Who wants to play? B.B. King checked out the other day. Ghost of muddy waters waiting for him in the lobby. He said, come on, BB, my old friend, let's play. We got time for one more tune. Let's leave him howling at the moon. The man said, if we're good, we get to come back again. Old Gene Shea still on the radio. Voice of Woody Guthrie crackled out 
to the alley Where there's an old man leaning on a cane Who knows? He says, I was there in 64 They just don't make them like that no more And it sure feels good to hear that song again And I say, hey, hey, hey Hey, 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 who wants to play? Now the old DJ, he's still on the radio. Thank you, Gene. Thanks, Bill. Gene Smith of the Gene Smith Band. Again, a reminder, they'll be here on the 16th of November which is a Friday, and I'll be coming up probably in a few weeks after this recording. So Awesome. Great. This was fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys for showing up. Looking forward to seeing the show. Say goodbye, Chris. Bye. Goodbye, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy posting a picture of you appearing on the podcast. There you go. Hey, uh, closing piece, and we'll be-